As financial advisors, you have a direct impact on your clients' livelihoods, future life experiences, and overall emotional well-being. These are no small shoes to fill, and we must be responsible for the actions we take. Our friendly neighborhood web slinger's Uncle Ben said it best, with great power comes great responsibility. Today, I speak with Spencer Malache from Sagium Financial as he shares his journey into this world and his perspective on what it takes to be a successful financial advisor in our emerging future. It is a good story. My uh, dad, uh, he was seven years old and his uh, siblings and his mom and dad were to take a boat from uh, Italy over to uh, Halifax. And they were supposed to take a boat called the Andrea Doria and somebody was sick uh, or their passports didn't come in. There was some reason that they didn't get on that boat. Uh, they took another boat a couple months later, but the Andrea Doria actually sunk. So my dad has a, a memory of when he was seven years old, uh, the boat that he was on near where the Andrea Doria went down, they stopped or they went past that area and they threw wreaths in the water because it was Italians coming over to uh, Canada the same as they were. Um, then they landed and they did what they had to do and they took the train uh, across to Smithers, BC, Northern BC. And that's that's where my dad uh, grew up learning English. And from there, he moved to Jasper when he was, uh, once he'd moved out and that's where he met my mom and that's where I grew up. Uh, the first 20 years of my life I spent in Jasper, I spent uh, age 18 and 19, just the, the summers. I was a fishing guide up in Jasper and then I worked in a retail store as well. And I also I did some bartending uh, at, a, at a restaurant in Jasper. I worked hard in the summer um, and I came back to Calgary after the summers and was, was here full time ever since. I started working pretty early. Like I uh, delivered the Edmonton Journal. So I used to get up at seven o'clock and my newspapers would be there and then I'd go and deliver them to people. I did that from the time I was nine years old till the time I was uh, 11 years old. And I had to sell newspaper subscriptions and then I developed a route and then I delivered papers to them. So as a nine year old, I'd go knocking on doors and say, you know, I can deliver them to journal for less than what it'll cost you to buy it at the store. And, you know, I'm going to deliver it to your door. You don't even have to go pick it up. Uh, and if you don't like it within six weeks, you know, you get all your money back and all these things. It was just a very natural intuitive, like, why wouldn't you do this? So even as a kid, you know, it was pretty obvious that there was value there and I know I would deliver on the value. So it was a pretty easy thing for me to sell. And I learned a lot of lessons about money because I also had to collect from people, you know, every two weeks, go and collect the money that they owed for the newspaper and uh, give them change and all that type of stuff. So a lot of things, kind of early lessons around money and around hard work and about selling things and adding value that I learned from that. The sales pitch, the personal guarantee and the commitment it takes to actually deliver on said value. Unless you've been living in a bubble for the last 20 years, and in particular over the last five, we're being made painfully aware of the rising distrust in the world. As individuals, we are more cautious, more critical, less believing, and much less forgiving of what others claim to be the truth. The post-war boom that kicked off the golden age of capitalism is what started this inevitable downward trend from our honest roots to help our customers and our neighbors and bring value to now the need more mindset that it has snowballed into. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I always had money at a 50, $100, whatever, just in my sock drawer, I could always pay for things. Um, by the time I turned 18 um, and I went away to school, I realized I didn't have that much money. 
um, I hadn't really saved or invested, you know, I, I had some money, like I had lots of money for high school at the time, but I didn't have a lot of money for living in my own place in Calgary, which I was doing, uh, and going to school, you know, I had a little bit, but I didn't have that much. Like it was, I didn't have money to go out on the weekends though. I had been making pretty good money in the summers and on holidays. So, so that was something I think, you know, like I, I knew how to make money, but I didn't know how to save money or invest money or do anything with it. Yeah. So I think that was something that sort of led me to understanding, like you, you need to learn some stuff about money and how to save it, how to invest it. You know, I knew how to add value for people so that they would want to invest in me or, or what I was selling. And I knew the importance of that and the importance of delivering on, on your promises. But in terms of actually putting money away, planning for the future, thinking bigger than sort of the short term, that, that was something that I had to realize life's going to be limiting if I don't learn something about that. He didn't know about it until he realized and started to notice what was missing. And, and this is part of the journey that we all go through. We need to experience what doesn't work in order to understand how to fill in the gap, how to make it work. If we go through that process and we were to really embrace and appreciate what's needed to fill the gap, you then have two choices available to you. You can either one, be resigned to this is how it's going to be, or two, change the narrative and do something about it. This was the choice Spencer made, and he invested the time, energy, and attention to understand how finances work and how to think bigger, as well as how to deliver on those promises well for his clients. On this day 20 years ago, I would have been in London, Ontario in, in uh, training to become a, well, to sell mutual funds and, and life insurance to be a financial advisor and an investment representative. And I found there were clients that I started servicing, looking after. And when I spoke with them, they had insurance products or financial products. And some of them had great financial products that were put in place and really great assets that had been building, but they didn't understand what they were or why they had them. They were just products that they bought from somebody. They didn't know if their financial lives were actually any better because they had bought them or not. In a lot of cases they were. In some cases, unfortunately, they probably would have been, or maybe would have been better off doing something else. And these are people that I was looking after in my hometown in Jasper, where I grew up. So I took over some clients that were there from somebody that had retired from the business. And I, I went up there and was disappointed to see that people had products that they had bought, but they hadn't necessarily felt advised. You know, if we're parading around as advisors, we should actually be advising people on things that are important to them, not just on how to buy products. So there's nothing wrong with being a professional salesperson, but you, we should be clear about that. If your job is as a professional salesperson, be clear that the objective is to ask just enough questions to determine if the financial product that I have to sell is going to fit for you. Uh, you can do that in a very ethical and help clients type of way. I wanted to be an advisor, help people make their financial lives better since I realized that a lot of people were sold to and unfortunately they thought they were being advised. I'm going to share a little bit about my experience growing up with finances. Um, as I grew up, I, I had very little context for what it meant to be financially stable. I was in a um, lower middle class home and, uh, and that was just how it went. There was not a whole lot available to, to explore with. And, and I got to do many things. It's not to say that I didn't have opportunities. But I did not have the tools or the direction to, to gain a better understanding of it, nor was it encouraged to explore it and, and find it other than the, the default, well, you need to understand money. And uh, when, when we were presented with these 
generalized objectives, there's really, it's really hard to, to create some momentum around that. So, so I had no idea how to address my own systemic issues that prevented me from achieving my own financial success. It had a lot to do with who was around me advising me during those moments, what they understood and what they didn't, the actions they took and the actions they didn't, their willingness to seek clarity and their unwillingness to expand their own understanding and awareness. The trajectory these shifts have are subtle. They are the 1% moments that, like a well-understood plan and sound financial advice, bring about a positive compounding effect. Well, I think you're attracted to people that uh, have similar values and, and you don't always agree. In fact, disagreement is a fairly natural uh, thing and it, it actually leads to growing and learning. And I've got two boys that fight all the time they're seven and four and the seven-year-old probably takes it easy on the four-year-old, but, um, but they're learning that way because they need to, it, it, you can just see it's natural. They wrestle and they fight and they're using all their senses to interpret the world and to understand the world and to grow and develop. I have a tough time talking about this type of question without referencing a, a book by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And it was a tough read for me, but it was so good. And it, it, uh, you know, from a very scientific perspective, bestowed the virtues of uh, letting things occur naturally. You can't fight nature too much. Complex systems and simple systems. And if you deprive complex systems of natural stimulus that it needs to grow, you weaken that system. They're anti-fragile because they're actually stronger with agitation, natural agitation. And so you're attracted to other people that have similar values to you. And in my case, the other advisors, my partners uh, in the work that we do, we care about prioritizing our clients' best interests, doing a great job for our clients, value teamwork, fun, hard work. Like there's, there's a lot of things that we share in terms of values. And we, we don't always agree on everything that we do, but that's learning. You know, if we disagree or if we argue about something or if we see things a different way, we know that at a core level, at a values level and at a, an integrity level, we're, we're the same and we have the same values. Then all of that just becomes learning. You know, we start to say good things that the other, one of our other partners used to say and automatically you get best practices that are not documented, they're just built. They just happen because you spend time together and you debate and you argue and you go through challenges together. Disagreement is a great thing. Sometimes I don't agree with that. And it's okay to disagree. It's part of the process. Uh, Spencer talks about the book from Nassim Nicholas Taleb called Anti-Fragile. I also really appreciated that book. It was also a very hard read, but it was worth it. I also love the values conversation. I, I have this conversation often with people. It's so rich and rightfully so. One value can mean so many things to so many different people. And that can be a big challenge when your objective is to create a cohesive group of people working towards the same objective. Therein lay the trap of it. The need to be 100% aligned 100% of the time tends to be where we get caught. It is not possible, nor is it actually what you want. We all like the sounds of our own voices. We all like to think that we're right. And uh, if I come together with a group of people that I think are educated on the profession that we're in, have a desire to change it and make it better and prioritize clients' best interests. Probably those people have spent as much time thinking about researching, reading, contemplating, debating, 
how things should be done. And if every if everybody that's done that then is going to come with that opinion when you come together. And even as much as we believe that we're all on the same page, we do have different ideas and there's just so much to do. We might have different ideas on, on everything. So I guess the first thing would come down to anytime a large group of people come together, we all probably think that we're right. This is a great challenge because it leads to great conversations and great dialogues. Ensuring that everybody gets a voice uh, and that everybody's voice is respected. For our group, I think we've done that and we continue to do that. But there's a lot of voices to hear. So I think that's a challenge. When you want to come together with a lot of people, there's a lot of voices to hear and a lot of insights. The shortest distance between two points is not always a straight line because not everyone is on the same point. We converge and overlap during moments. We start and stop at different times and we all run at different speeds. In fact, there isn't just one line, there are many. And it really is a great challenge to explore and expand on as a group if you're willing to put in the work and not everyone is. You know, in, in finance, there's the opportunity to be very linear in your thinking. It's important if you want to grow to have processes and policies and procedures, but it's also important to take action. So th that's a balance. That's a challenge for sure. We have a fantastic uh, group uh, an operations and management team that, that, you know, puts in place great stuff that are able to keep us organized. And then as advisors, as people that sit across the table from clients, we're, we're quick starts. Like we want to do things right away. We've got an idea. We want to do those things. So all those things are good um, and recognize, and it's important that we recognize the value of the, the different contributions, you know, wanting to do something right away and quick start and, uh, you know, do it and maybe do it wrong and then, and then fix it. And then there's the perspective of, well, let's do this right. Because if we do it right the first time, um, that's going to be less expensive um, and it's going to be done properly. There's a saying that's attributed to um, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, I think, and it's, you know, if I have eight hours to cut down a tree, I'm going to spend seven hours sharpening my ax. Yeah, there, there might be some virtue in that, but somebody else might say, you know what, just go hammer on that tree for three hours and then, uh, and then go hammer down another tree. There's merits to all these things. And, and you know, if you're just cutting down one tree, maybe it would be better just take three hours and hammer it down. But if you know that you're going to cut down a whole forest, then maybe it is better to, to sharpen that ax for seven hours. Cause you can probably chop down a whole bunch of trees. If you do that. To sharpen your ax or not to sharpen your ax. Well, what direction are you going? Are there trees in the way? How many axes do you have? What trees need cutting? What will make the biggest difference in terms of the time, energy, and attention you need to invest in moving forward? There are many actions to take and our leadership can enable the progress that makes the difference or breaks the team. Uh, my belief with all of that is keeping that long-term vision and those long-term values insight i think that's the most important thing to get through those tough challenges because if you know there's somewhere where you're going together and it's a long ways out in the future somewhere maybe you weren't won't even get like what you see for yourself on the beyond the horizon then it's easier to plow through those different you know ways of thinking um, before i was involved there was a lot of discussion around vision and mission and purpose and the value offering uh, for clients so there were a lot of discussions that happened before i was involved and then myself and and some other now partners um we were approached with uh, the vision and the philosophy and then we were brought into the conversation and then there's a tremendous amount of work to bring everybody together one of the one of the huge things that has happened uh, just over a year ago so december of 2019 we moved into the same space so, so previously previously two separate companies with a strategic partnership within the same space uh, that that was really big because you know if you're dating it's one thing but when you move in together that's a that's a different step 
so I think that was a big thing actually coming together. Uh, after we did that, uh, some of our group, so our board of, on, of which I'm a, a board member for our firms now as well, um, the six of us uh, did a retreat where we worked uh, with the consultant to do uh, work around our, our culture, but also around our, our vision, our mission, and our purpose. That was that was almost a year ago now. Every exploration team needs a map. Every explorer needs a map, but not just any map. It must ensure alignment of the future destination to have everyone on board and ready for the trip. It then must be able to get us back on course when the unexpected circumstances of life and business get in the way, pull you off your course, or just plain stop you dead in your tracks. And then we came back into the office and we started formalizing that in a document that we shared with our group. And uh, it was also conversations with our other partners that aren't, aren't on our board, but partners and, and uh, equally important to the vision because we all came together around the same vision. So there's a lot of dialogue around that. Uh, and then, you know, COVID happened and that was a, that's been a challenge too, because all of a sudden we went from being uh, together in this office and, and, you know, having to uh, share the space together to being isolated a little bit and forced to have most of our communication over the phone or over emails and over video calls. So I think it's been a challenge that we're getting through, which is, I think, something that actually makes you stronger when you get through challenges. Yeah, and, and we continue to we continue to work on it. But our president is is really good at referencing back to our raison d'etre and, and iterating that in conversations with the group and in emails and, and coming together often. You know, it's been difficult to do that. We had a window from, I guess it was sort of June till uh, whatever, middle of December, beginning of December, where, you know, we were able to be in the office together and come together as a group. Spencer points to something really subtle and distinct here this work is not work that gets done and then sits on the shelf as marked complete they are guiding documents and like the humans they serve to guide must elevate and evolve with us if it's to stay relevant and the only way that can be done is if it's actively and proactively used and reviewed to ensure it I'm not academic. I'm very much about, uh, let's get after it. Let's get to work. Let's figure it out as we go. But I definitely read when I think there's a book that could shed some light on, on, uh, situations. So I read tribal leadership, which is not a brand new book, but I read that in the summer and it talks about, uh, relationships that are, um, triadic as opposed to dyadic and or the five things of tribal leadership is, or the five attitudes, if you will, is life sucks. And then the next level up is my life sucks. Uh, the next level up is I'm great, but everybody else is a donkey. Uh, the next level up is we're great. And then the next level up is life is great. And so you have to have team members move up one level at a time. You, you want to nudge people from one level to the next. So one of the key things is, you know, if you're at this lower level or one of these two lower levels, you want to help those people form dyadic relationships. So conversations and relationships with one another person. If you're here and you have relationships with one other person, then it's key to bring other people into that relationship. That's, that's sort of one of the things you can do to move from level three, I'm great, but everybody else is a turkey to level four, we're great is rather than just having one-on-one -on -one conversations where you're protecting information or hoarding information, um, moving from that level to, you know, let's get lots of people involved in this conversation. Conversation might take a little bit longer, but there's going to have more perspectives. We're not hiding our information. We're sharing it with everybody. You know, so everybody's learning from everybody. So I think that's a big thing um, in our organization is that we have committees and we have meetings and we have a board and we have uh, different groups, but we 
cross-pollinate. You know, so we've got a financial planning committee and we've got an investment committee. Um, and we've got people from different groups that meet with other people in different groups. And I, I think that's pretty important that you've got more than, you know, just one or two people that have the information about something. And that's about transparency too, but having uh, everybody have an opportunity to sort of integrate with everybody. And, and that's how uh, we all learn from each other. And sometimes maybe it takes a little bit longer, but we're, we're all learning from each other then. And it's complex. As leaders, we invest a significant amount of time and work the best we can to achieve what we're working towards. It doesn't always go the way we would like. It doesn't always go the way we thought it would. It doesn't always go the way we wanted it to go. I know a difficult, a challenging thing for me. And again, I'm one of, the, so we've got a lot of leaders in our group that um, sort of steer our direction. And even the personality of people that uh, aren't on paper, part of a leadership group in our group are leaders. We just have a lot of leader type people, either charismatic or influential. We, we just have a lot of those people in our organization. I, I think the hardest thing is, you know, there's different ways that you can lead, but if you have an opinion and you're decisive and you think you're right, like that's one way to lead. And that's, I assume that everything that I believe is right, but I know that that's not true. I can't relate to what Spencer says here at all. There's a th distinction here that I wanted to bring to the table, and that is to embrace the beginner's mind. A beginner's mind refers to leaving your experiences, preconceptions, and biases at the door, to bringing an attitude of openness and eagerness to the table, to look with fresh eyes like those of a young student, a blank canvas. There's so much more available to you if you allow yourself to be okay with not knowing and open to learning and discovering something new. One of the hardest things uh, for me personally is to step back and say, you know, a lot of other people have a lot of great ideas. Like Spence, you're not always right. You know, in fact, you're probably wrong a lot. And there might be some great ideas that come from other people. So I, I think that's a challenge for me because I think this business a lot. I read a lot. I have a study group that I share ideas with. So I think it is difficult for me sometimes to say, ah, maybe I'm not right on this one. <laughs> I don't, nobody likes to think that they're stubborn, but um, I might be. You can get impatient if, if one conversation at a time, we're talking to people about how financial services is broken and it's been built to primarily uh, benefit shareholders of banks and insurance companies, secondarily advisors and the tertiary beneficiary, if they become a beneficiary at all is the client and we have to fix that. And our belief is that if we take care of the clients first and we do a great job focusing on what's most important to them, we're transparent. We take the time to do the work properly. It will take longer. I believe there's a whole bunch of advisors that are just in situations that don't incent the right behavior and they're great advisors and they want to do great work for their clients, but they're not in a, a business model or an institution that allows them to do that. So, and then I believe there's a whole bunch of clients that sense that their institution that's looking after them is a big institution that's taking primarily care of shareholders, then the advisor, and then maybe them. What's difficult is moving the needle on that one conversation at a time. So I can have that conversation and it resonates with people. Uh, I can talk to a colleague that works for a large institution that lives in my neighborhood. And you know, that, that person's uh, feeling is that there's gotta be a better, better way than the way that he has to do things at the institution that he works at. But he's not quite ready yet. He's, he's not quite painful enough to make the switch. Um, and from a client's perspective, there is some comfort in large institutions, but there's some education over time as we educate people and say, you know, there's a better way 
than just to be invested or to have your your assets with that large institution. In fact, there's much better ways. I, I think it works well because that conversation resonates with a lot of people, uh, but I think it doesn't work well because I get impatient because it just has, happens one conversation at a time. At our core, we want to be authentic and genuine in our communication and how we serve our clients. But the marketplace is very noisy and can leave us feeling like we're doing it wrong. In an old industry like insurance and finance, there is much work to be done to undo and redo the system so that it has the best interest of everyone involved equally. This is no easy feat, and those institutions have their ways of influencing the system to maintain the status quo. One of which is to try and convince us that we must be something we're not in order to be successful. This is by design. The simplicity of what we get to bring forward into the spotlight again is this. It's about people first, then business. It's about people doing business with other people, not businesses doing businesses with each other. The challenge facing most organizations is how to do that better using the tools available now. And it starts with making sure everyone is clear. We've gotten really clear on who we are and we spent a lot of time doing that. Getting clear on who we are, uh, who our clients are, uh, what it is that we do for them. And so I, I, I believe we do a pretty good job when we're uh, across the table from people and if we're meeting people at networking events, I think what we do quite well is we communicate um, why we're different. We communicate how what the things that we've done to prioritize our, our clients' best interests and to set the industry standard for safeguarding our clients' best interests. Uh, I, I think we've done a good job on that background work. Um, and I, I think we're starting to do a good job at getting that message out there as well. It's not easy to get this clarity. It challenges much of what we've been told it needs to be or how it has to go. This is not to say that we should not honor the systems, regulations, and processes that work within our respective industries. It's about being mindful of how easily it can stop us from sharing those things or from taking those actions or showing up a certain way that actually make a difference in the one-to-one -one environment to a more broad marketplace. The opportunity for those in this industry is to really look at how we can translate our one-to-one -one in a one-to-many conversation that aligns within our purpose. Avoiding the Frankenstein approach that attempts to account for all the tactics and strategies we're told we should use in a marketing and communications capacity that only leave us with a negative experience and so no longer proceeding with the exploration of finding what does fit and what does work. Spencer shares a bit more of his experience around being more public in his communication as an industry professional. Well, I'll speak for myself personally. Uh, like, let's use social media as an example. Like, it's a great tool where you can reach a lot of people. But once that's out there, that's out there. Even this, right? Like, I don't think I'm going to say anything too belligerent. Uh, and hopefully you can edit that out if I do. But as soon as you put that out there, that's out there. Probably the same as the reason we don't do anything in life because of the fear of the negative repercussions of it. For me, the reason I don't do videos on social media, uh, I don't have a TikTok account, um, I don't really do much on Instagram. Uh, I, I feel like there's some good things that I might say from time to time about the about financial services. We're, we're trying to do it and we are going to start doing it, but it's it's unnerving, I think. And for me personally, the reason I haven't done more of it 
is because I think just for the same reason we hesitate to do anything else we want to do, it's because of fear. One of the things as you were talking that I thought about was, you know, being less than perfect in the entrepreneurial world, screwing up is, is okay. You know, like there's the notion that you have to be perfect. Uh, I, I work with a business coach that talks a lot about your, you know, your light and your shadow and, you know, everybody has one, nobody's perfect, but we like to portray that we're, we're perfect all the time. No, nobody puts the videos of uh, bad stuff happening. Everybody's got a shadow or a dark side. Every, every single one of us. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm even talking about this. It makes me a little bit anxious because you don't want to, on the one hand, put out just the good stuff because people will see through that. But then at the same time, it's like, if it's just for me, I, I'm actually more comfortable putting out the bad stuff along with the good stuff. But when you've got other people that by association are represented by your brand, that makes me a little bit nervous. There's no right approach that fits every circumstance. We must be open to answering the question, what works for us? We are not perfect. We know this and will continue to not take action as a result of it. We must be willing to fail and get a better understanding and appreciation of what those failures will bring in terms of clarity and understanding of what works for us. Embrace the beginner's mind and most importantly, honor who you are through and through. Be you. Own how you show up in the world, the value you bring, the lessons, stories, and learnings you've acquired along the way. The opportunity to share those stories with others who might not get a chance to sit with you one-on-one -on -one is what presents itself. Of course, it's your choice. And it takes patience. These things, they take time to figure out. And it cannot be rushed for the sake of industry, culture, or society. You're doing it whole and completely, addressing the objectives, the culture, what you stand for and why that's important. This is a holistic experience and exercise truly because it addresses everything. When you do it that way, it cannot compromise your reputation. In fact, it can only expand it. The right leadership changes everything. And for our next generation of game changers striving to achieve what is yet to be achieved, you must be willing to do what has never been done. So make ripples, lead the charge, create cool shit that shows others the way to be braver, brighter, and better than we were yesterday. Personally, you owe it to yourself. The more we come together more intentionally to support one another, the sooner we'll all find ourselves not just living, but contributing to the creation of the vibrant, connected communities that fuel dreams. It takes a certain leader to make this happen. So who comes to mind that you would like to hear from? Please let me know and I'll see what I can do to make it happen. Thanks so much for listening.
Start it. 